If you want to get rid of all the ads, just choose the David McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts and you'll hear us without any clutter or noise or ads. Lovely, John. Beautiful. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. I am back from my travels. We are back. It's in, the Tedster. It's, it's the, ted, the Tedster. We're back in the <laughs> HQ. All that Ted stuff gone. No, John, I, as you know, spent the last week in Vancouver in Canada and I had a TED talk there yeah. last Friday and just and, flew back. And so was, how did it go? It was how really did good. It, go? It, was, it was a fascinating, fascinating insight into a world that I knew nothing about really before I went there. The world yeah. of Ted, very, very West Coast American, extraordinary introduction to this a sort of the technology world, the design world, the world of futurology, the mm. world of people talking about what is possible in the future. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lot of things in America. You come back from America, on the one hand, emboldened, enthusiastic and mm. upbeat, yeah. And on the other hand, kind of terrified and slightly more Marxist than when you went back before that. <laughs> Could you <laughs> be, be any more, more Marxist? Oh no, no, God, but you know, I'm, but uh, that is a funny thing, you know, because what you find in America, and I'm really intrigued about this, is when I go to any country, particularly countries we can actually understand linguistically, mm. I'm always fascinated in the stories they tell themselves about themselves. Like, so Ted was in Vancouver, which is probably as close in Canada as you can get to America, both mm. physically and I think psychologically yeah, as well. Yeah the West Coast of America. And the vast majority of the speakers were American. So it had a very, very North American feel to it. But I'm always intrigued the stories countries tell themselves about themselves. Because every nation is built on mythology, our yeah. own nation as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. And we, we take selective bits of our history, we embellish it, we subjugate it to all sorts of sugar coating and all sorts of wishful thinking. And then you have a, a national narrative, you have a national story. Right, Ireland has one as well. But in America, of course, the national story is very much a Hollywood one. You yeah, know, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. you know, when, when, when Americans decided to, to, I think, reinvent America, they did this through Hollywood. Mm. And Hollywood was the number one exclusive storyteller of America. So, for example, if you're a Native American, you will say, well, look, from the 1940s, 50s and 60s, even to the 70s, you had this cowboys and Indians thing. 
Yes, where the yeah, Indians yeah, yeah. were regarded as almost equal in the fight, yeah. where in actual fact the Indians, the Native American people, were destroyed. Yes, yeah. But of course. of course, Hollywood, rather than tell that story, which is the one that's been told now increasingly, created the John Wayne approach to American history, where all whites were pioneers and thrusting yeah. honest to God. With God on their throat, side. With God on their side. Yeah. And all the Native Americans were nasty Indians. Yeah. Right? So basically, you know, the story of America is told by the scriptwriters of Hollywood in many ways. Yeah. Is not not the same for everybody? Yeah. Well, no, I don't think so. I think that most people's countries' relationship with history is a little bit more tangential. Yeah. The realities of history, I would I would think. But, it, 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 you know, it's, it's the happy ending approach yeah. to, to the United States, right? Not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> anyway. So, what's interesting in listening to a lot of Americans, the way they talk, is that a lot of their their way of understanding the world comes from a very individualistic idea, which is, I was in this situation, which is very, very difficult. I was born in the ghetto, or I was born underprivileged, or mm. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks, and then through force of will, I have become the person I am, and you can too. It's sort yeah. of the Oprah approach to... to well, it's to, the theme of so many brilliant movies, actually. It's like, could have been a contender. Yeah. It's on the, on the waterfront. Uh, from the, the other side of the tracks All and, the, and uh, so against the odds. So, so basically the American world is, you know, I started here, the playing field was not level and I succeeded, mm. right? And the Americans talk about the success, whereas Europeans will say, well, level the fucking playing field then. Yes. And more yeah, people yeah. will, right? So that's what you notice very much, that the American... Narrative is very much the individual, right? Individual succeeds. And in some way, that lets away issues of racism, institutional racism. Right, yeah. It actually allows sort of tax evasion off the hook. It allows the fact the welfare state doesn't exist there off the hook. Because what you're basically saying is that despite all these awful things, I succeeded and you can too. Yeah. And rather than focus on the awful things... In actual fact, the ghetto itself are the fact that the inequality or the gap between rich and poor and all those things, rather than focus on them as the issue, they have managed to actually change the entire story so they focus on the against the odds striving, almost Marvel comic type person yeah, yeah, who yeah, appears yeah. and gets on. And it's a classic the, American dream. Well, so, so I think a lot of Europeans, when they, when they spend time in, in the States, they come away with this idea of, isn't it amazing how the story that America tells itself about itself in some way obscures the underlying real problems in the society? Now, the Americans would say, that's fine, you Europeans point out those differences, but where's the, where's the European Google? Where's the European TikTok, mm. even though TikTok's Chinese? Where's the European Facebook, right? Yeah. So they say, you decide that you're going to level the playing field, but you don't create any of these brilliant companies, these brilliant individuals, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they look at the amount of Americans who win, for example, Nobel yeah. Prizes versus, versus Europeans, et cetera. So that was one thing that comes out of it. The second thing that comes out of it, though, is that the TED experience is just the extraordinary pace of technological change and the impact of AI on our lives. And I sat and I listened to AI, people who really know about AI, mm, mm. and people who are at the, at the forefront of AI technology, and I said to myself, wow, we have no idea what's coming down the tracks. I mean, the, the pace of change is phenomenal. 
on a technological point, you know, and, and we don't kind of realize it because we're going, going through life and like life's busy. So you don't think about yeah, these things. Yeah. But I mean, it's definitely, it's so clear to me that we are on the cusp of something that will make the industrial revolution look like a slow moving in really? consequential. Oh, so yeah. who, who was talking then on well, this? A lot, of, a lot of, well, first of all, it was a, a hell of a lot of technologists, right? Kind of West Coast, Silicon Valley type technologists. But then you listen to someone like Sal Khan. I don't know if the Khan right. Academy, right? Yeah, he yeah. got up and spoke, right? This is a guy who single-handedly has changed the way education is delivered, right? It strikes me that our education systems, universities, all these are going to be obsolete really soon. That hundreds and hundreds of millions of people will be educated for free in the coming decade. And that will profoundly change the intellectual energy of continents such like Africa being the great example, right? That Europeans have had, and Americans, but particularly Europeans have had a monopoly over high-tech education and deep education for a long, long time. Mm. We're talking about the printing press here. Yeah, We're talking yeah. about a change that will obliterate academia. It will obliterate the fact that Europeans and Americans, and particularly those universities that Europeans and Americans hold so dear, are in effect, in effect, an elite club, right? That's all they mm. are. And the admittance fee is very, very significant into either of them, either in terms of actual cash payment in terms of American universities or in terms of status and class in European universities. I mean, Africans are going to get access to this information for but, zero, for but, nothing. But this is what I want to ask you then. I may, maybe this is maybe this is the wrong question to ask because it's maybe it's coming from an old perspective. But there is a hierarchy in terms of academia. You know, you get your degree. I'm about to go to Trinity now to profess from, from tomorrow. <laughs> Indeed, you are. <laughs> but so you get your first degree. You get your master's. You get other degrees. You get yeah. your doctorship. Whatever you know. But that is a way of grading and, you know, how does an employer, for instance, it's decide all, all who is more qualified? It's all going to change. It's all going to change. So I think, you know, that's what the really exciting thing. Mm. When you listen to TED, what really excites you is the possibilities where technology is dramatically reducing the price of entry into lots of things. Just education struck me as interesting because I'm teaching, sure, yeah. you know, next week in Trinity and I'm, you know, professor this and professor that and all that sort of stuff. And then you realize that what we're talking about, all we're talking about is gatekeepers. So the gatekeepers to education, to knowledge, the gatekeepers to the dissemination of knowledge have been the education systems and the yeah. universities, right? All they are is bouncers. Imagine we're going into a nightclub. The nightclub is yeah. now open. The rave is open. It's a but, big open but area. But in order to get your name down so you can get in, you have to prove yourself in some nobody's, sort of way. Nobody's going to care about that. Nobody's going to care. So it's about going that. to be down to the storytelling to as be, opposed to the, the ability piece of, of paper. It, to say absolutely, here. it's going to be down okay. to the ability of the individual. We're talking about a situation. Imagine you're going from a nightclub with two bouncers, mm. right, into a massive open air rave with no bouncers. Woo! That's exactly where we're going yeah. in education, in world education. And where does that lead us then? Well, it just means imagine now, for example that what you're doing is you're liberating the brains of people whose brains were limited by the fact that they weren't allowed to be educated in the past. So think about this country, right? Mm. We go from a situation where only a tiny minority of people are educated 100 years ago to a situation now where lots of people are educated. What that does is it totally changes people's lives. And it's, what it does is changes 
people's perceptions of what they can do and the possibilities. So this is what I found mm. really exciting. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There are changes going on now in technology that will profoundly affect the world. But then there was also a lot of people on the artificial intelligence talking about, you know, the extent of the genius of these robots and what that means for humanity. And I think that still is a big open air question. Mm. But I mean, in terms of like, uh, there was a there was a guy talking, a guy called Stuart Kaufman, who I'm a bit of a fan of. Ooh, he. he was originally a medical doctor, but right. he is an amazing scientific researcher. But what he has come up with and what he is actually, I think he's the man who single-handedly is going to destroy economics. Because his basic idea is that, I won't get all nerdy on it, but I, I, I love this stuff, that economics is based, or a lot of macroeconomics mm. is based on this idea of general equilibrium. That there's a certain place at which the economy has no tendency to change. Yeah. This comes back from Wall Ray. It's very, very old. It's from like yeah. French mathematics in the 19th century. And then, of course, Keynes wrote the general theory. I mean, this is it's this basic idea that, that economics and physics are in some way related. Mm. Kaufman uses biology and he uses a thing called the adjacent possible, which is his way of explaining how the world works, and how the world takes off and how the world, how the world economy. He's basically taking evolutionary biology ideas mm. and applying them to economics. And at the moment, he's very, very much out on his own on a limb, but he's an extraordinarily brilliant person. His work is amazing. If you're listening to the podcast and you're into sort of more intricate economics Stuart Kaufman is this guy's name. And I was kind of fanboying him. He was the first person I met and he's the person I really want to meet. Now, he's not, right, he's right. not a big superstar, but he's, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. he's in my world. Then I tell you who I... Did you little, get his autograph? Didn't get his autograph, but I got his email. <laughs> and I get him on the show. <laughs> That's even better. Absolutely. Amazing yeah, yeah. man who I've seen before called Benjamin Zander. Benjamin Zander is the former conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. Oh, right. And he is amazing at explaining how music changes our world and changes mm. the way we think about the world. And he's just he's also a wonderful performer. He's a very, very interesting, he's originally an English guy, I think now lives, obviously he's been living in America for a long time. But he, again, his performances are wonderful. His ideas taking music and the way we listen to music, what music does to us and what rhythm does to us. So, I mean, in, in a way yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about some things that are very, it's very, very different. It's very, mm. very different. Then I tell you who I, I who I was really fascinated by. I was really fascinated by one of the women from Pussy Riot. Was oh, there. yeah. Her name is Nadia Tolokonikova. But she was, I mean, she spent two years in prison under Putin. Incredibly courageous woman. Yeah. Amazing story. You know, she was just said, look, I was this sort of runaway kid from beyond the Urals, came to Moscow, joined a band, joined street performance, was, you know, busking, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we hated Putin. We thought he was an asshole and we thought he was a chicken. And a little, and, but this is like 2013, a long yes, time ago. Yes, yeah, I remember that. And, and, and that's when they got up on the altar of the, up, of the basilica. Of the basilica, uh, yeah. But she, like, she spent two years in prison for that, yeah. which is crazy. And again, interestingly, unlike an American, she didn't talk to about, she said, I was in prison, full stop. She didn't give us the day-to-day -day mm. what actually happened to her, but you, I presume it wasn't particularly pleasant. But she, it's just that idea of the courage of the artist to stand up mm. to the tyrant. And she just spoke very, very, very poignantly, very brilliantly, very convincingly. What does she do on a day-to-day -day basis now? Well, she's just been a bit like our friend from Bellingcat. Remember our friend from yeah. Bellingcat? Was on it? Yeah. Well, both of them have been identified as enemies of the state in Russia. 
Right. So okay. they're in hiding. <gasps> right. Okay. Right. So they, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. because I mean, who knows what's happened to them? You know, a little bit of like the last time in Salisbury Cathedral, the enemies of the state ended up Absolutely. having Novacek in their cups of tea. Yeah. So you don't want to be that sort of carry on. So there was the whole thing was really, really fascinating. And I spent hours just listening to lots and lots of people giving lots and lots of really brilliant discussions, some quite interesting, some mm. not so interesting, some quite controversial, some not so controversial. But the whole package was was kind of but, fascinating. Uh, and what did you bring to the party? Ah, you see. I see, John. I talked about the impact of poetry oh. on economics and talked about Leonard Cohn. Talked about how the light gets in. I talked love about that song. yeah, yeah. Love that song. Well, I was talking it was more poetry and yeah. talked about talked about Yeats. I talked a bit about Beckett. I talked a bit about how, you know, as I've always said, that we should listen sometimes a little bit less to economists about predicting the future and a little bit more to poets and artists and musicians. Yeah. Because I think poets and artists and musicians give themselves the permission to think unconventionally. They're not afraid so much of the peer group. And I think if you go back in history, what you'll realise is that poets, artists, musicians, those types of people tended to see the world much more clearly at tipping points and at mm. inflection points because they gave themselves the permission to go wide. Yeah, yeah. And I think the problem with economics, one of the problems with economics is economists are mandated to predict the future. And in fact, the economists are appalling at prediction of the future. Yeah. Because they're very, very... Can't see the wood from the trees. It's not in the, can't see the wood from the trees. It's that they're very reductionist. It's a right. highly yeah, reductionist yeah, yeah, profession, yeah. Yeah. you know. And and also I think that it comes back to this thing I was talking about, Kaufman. If you assume that humanity is rational, if your basic assumption, which is the basic assumption of economics, that man is rational, the reason that economists do this is in order to make their mathematical models, the ones I used to work on as a kid, much more elegant, Right. But if you assume that man is rational, when all the evidence in the world is that man is highly irrational, yeah, that's the yeah. one that makes us beautiful, yeah, right? Yeah. What you do then is you work off models that not only don't replicate reality, but they actually contradict reality. So if your model, imagine, for example, you were doing a flight simulation test as a pilot. Yeah. And the flight simulator you went in in order to replicate the conditions that might appear if you were to hit, mm. for example, a storm or you yeah, lose, yeah. lose an engine, right? Now, the whole point of the simulator is that it replicates the conditions that might possibly happen, yeah. right? Imagine you were using a model simulator that actually contradicted the conditions that might actually happen because that's what, that's what economics does. So if yeah. you assume that man is rational, logical, scientific, unencumbered by biases or emotions, all these things that make us human, you will then use models that assume away the very essential essence of humanity and therefore your models will not only not replicate potential scenarios they will actually contradict yeah, so yeah. economics has been this is one of my big things economics has been using models that contradict reality nobody stands up and says this emperor has no clothes because everybody's vested in the academia and as a result of that surprise surprise economics doesn't forecast anything <laughs> right yeah because yeah, yeah. it's based on the idea of if you could imagine, do you remember in Star Trek? Yeah, you I remember do. Mr. Spock? I do. He was a Vulcan. Yes. Right? Do you know what the Vulcans were, right? Yeah. Do you know what they did? They Live were long and prosper. Highly logical, unemotional things. Yes. So you'd ask Mr. Spock, tell me the square root of that. 
it's a like ChatGPT. Yeah. So Mr. Spark was very good, which you present him with things like falling in love with somebody or fancying somebody. Yeah. And he just didn't compute. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the whole conceit there, and it was a really clever uh, piece of script writing. So you had Spock, the all-knowing Vulcan, scientific, cold, calculating. Yeah. Like the person that economists think exists in the world. And then you had Captain Kirk, the deeply flawed human captain, right, who had to make 50-50 decisions based on emotions. And that's what made his personality so contrasting with the other guy, right? Economists took fucking Star Trek seriously. (laughs) It was written by economists. And they have decided that man is a Vulcan, like Dr. Spock, when we know that man is actually like Captain Kirk. Yeah. So if you think that you construct a world around Dr. Spock, you get everything wrong. You can predict logical trajectories of mathematical ideas, which is great fun. And I used to love doing it when I was a kid. Yeah. But it doesn't tell you anything about how the world works. I think Sulu is better though. There you go. (laughs) But think about the whole thing. But the characters were really brilliantly drawn in in, in Star Trek. So I come back to my point is that if you want to understand the world around us, you have to be much more open to the emotional side of our minds, to our hearts rather than our heads, and to see the world as a large, emotional, fragile, human, very human, Mm. planetary ecosystem. And that's where the musicians and the poets, they... That's why they speak more. So this was a lovely kind of counterbalance to the AI dudes. I didn't realise it was going to be, but I I suspect it may have been. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I suspect it may have been. So that's something I've always liked. So that was the TED. It'll be up online soon. Any any idea when? I I don't know. Maybe maybe very soon. I'm not so sure. But what what was really fascinating, John, and this this is, I suppose, from our perception of running the podcast is quite interesting, is it does give you access to people who are at the cutting edge of their of their games. So what we'll do is we'll 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 bring them on, on the show. Fantastic. Yeah, we should do that. So there was lots of really, really good speakers at TED. But you know what, John? There are better speakers coming to the Doki Book Festival. The tickets go on sale on Wednesday, and I'm going to talk to you about it after the break. There are better speakers <laughs> coming to the Doki Book Festival than at TED. Swear to God. Let's talk about Doki after the break. Absolutely. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Mike, middle of June. Bloomsday uh, weekend. It is the weekend. It's when it all kicks off and it's when it all happens in Dorky. Dorky Book Festival. Dorky Book Festival tell us, tell us, tell is tell on from the 15th to the 18th of June. Yeah. So dorkybookfestival.org is the website. Tickets go on sale, John, tomorrow morning, Wednesday, the 26th of April. The lineup is amazing. Go on, give you, us a, a few names. You like your science, don't you? I do, yeah. So Professor Brian Cox is oh. coming. Brilliant. Okay. Not, not Brian Cox from Succession. Not Brian Cox from Succession. <laughs> Professor Brian Cox is coming over. An intimate gig with The Edge from U2. Brilliant. So fascinatingly, Brilliant. The Edge started life as an engineer in mm. Kevin Street. Did you know this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And U2 then started getting <laughs> successful. And he has that look about him still. Right? And he's really, so basically, and Brian Cox started life as a, as a pop star. Yeah. As yeah. a rock star. So Brian Cox started life, you know, the only, was it, Things Can Only Get Better. What was yes, the end of that band? Uh, um, um, D-Ream. D-Ream, D-Ream. Right? So, yeah, yeah. so Professor Brian Cox wanted to be a musician and Edge wanted to be a scientist. But he's so not, we're putting the two of them together. It's a very intimate gig. So this is the one to, to There's really a get. huge crossover between physics and music. Exactly. They just go in parallel. Uh, They're one of the same thing. And I've seen these two guys chat before. Yeah. And it is phenomenal. So that's a really interesting game. Yeah, you brilliant. Know, Edge and Brian fantastic. Cox. In fact, Edge is going to talk as well to a guy called Oliver Jeffers, a wonderful, wonderful artist, Oliver right. Jeffers. So that's going to be a, another fantastic discussion, you know, about art and art and music and where they come together. Yeah. So, I mean, again, what we always try to do at Doki is do strange, unusual combinations of people. Unusual combinations of people. There's a wonderful person called Masha Gessen. And Masha has, has written an amazing book called The Man With No Face. It's a biography of Putin. Oh, right. Had to leave Russia. Masha was hunted out of Russia. And that will be fascinating about Russia, Putin, Ukraine, where the war is going, where Russia is going to go. I really, really can't wait. Peter mm. Frankopan, your oh, mate and mine. I, I love Peter, Peter, Peter Frankopan and his and his his new book, his the, monster books, the Earth Transformed, an untold story, an amazing book. Yeah, and yeah, Peter's yeah. also just a great bloke. He's he a is, great he's performer. Brilliant. He's, he's a, a great brilliant performer, brilliant talker. He, I was utterly captivated by him the last time he was over. Yeah, no, he's brilliant. I, one of my probably my favorite journalists in the world is a guy called David Brooks who's a commentator from the New York Times. He wrote amazing books, Bobos in Paradise and On Paradise Drive, an amazing, amazing, yeah. an amazing thinker. How do you get these guys? Uh, you know, no, honestly. No, I've got my, I've got my. Well, actually, another great guy coming on is Jeff Goldberg, who's the editor of The Atlantic magazine. Oh, fantastic. Yes, The Atlantic yes. magazine. Again, these are, these are. He was on the podcast yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. your mate, Dan Ariely. Yes, yeah, yeah. Who started TED, but is actually in Kula. <laughs> 
See, that's the great thing about Doki. If you put Doki, on the GA jersey. Doki brings the people you see, Ted, for 25 grand, and we put them in cooler in the local GAA club. For nothing. For nothing. For half nothing. No, really. I mean, that's, but that's part of the whole idea of doing it. And then, of course, on the literature side, we have Richard Ford, one of the great American novelists, probably one of the great living American novelists. Sebastian Barry, our own Sebastian oh, yeah, Barry. Yeah. Paul Murray from down the road. Roddy Doyle's going to come talking about writing Dublin. How do right. you, because Roddy, if you think about Roddy Doyle, Roddy Doyle has animated Dublin in all his characters, right? The accents, the people, mm. the culture, you know, and I decided, I talked to Roddy, he said, yeah, I'm up for it, David. And I said, would you actually talk about writing Dublin? Yeah. You know, Barrytown, how did you create those people? How did you, you create know, those estates? I, I read the commitments on a train between Delhi and Madras. <laughs> I love it, I love it. <laughs> it's very bizarre. So like Roddy Doyle, John Banville, all, all these, you know, Irish greats, Elaine Feeney, an amazing writer, Jan Carson, Victoria Kennefick, an amazing poet, Merv Emery, I mean, Alice Ryan, Sarah Gilmartin. There's a huge amount of brilliant, brilliant Irish literary talent. And then, of course, John, you know, I always like putting comedians as MCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? As a kind of a, a ballast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> as a, and the amazing Dylan Moran. Yeah, but was, he's great. Yeah. I, I think he is, you know, Without a doubt. And also, of course... It's, it's, just, it's just his delivery. And do you it's remember deli- Black Books? You remember his yeah, main yeah, character yeah. was a fellow yeah. owned a bookshop, you <laughs> yeah. know? Colm O'Regan. And, you know, of course, Paul Howard is coming to do Russell Carroll yeah, Kelly. Yeah. He was great in Kilconomics last year. Yeah, he's really, really good. And that always sells out. And mm. he just... I mean, Paul Howard just... I, I'm always finding it amazing. I say, Paul, you just... You stand up and you take the piss out of people from South Dublin. Yeah. And they pay you. <laughs> To get they, the, come, they come in their droves to get the fist taken out of them. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is. It's extraordinary. And then... Of course, the podcast, John. The whole thing kicks off. Oh, well, off. that's the highlight. The Surely to God, that's the highlight. Forget about Brian Cox and Edge and all those kind of people. It's the podcast. It's it's our podcast. We've also got, have you, have you listened to an amazing podcast called Three Castles Burning? Donald Fallon. Oh, Bear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He's, yeah, coming, yeah. he's coming as well. So we, we have, really, there is, a Ruby Wax is coming as oh, well. Oh, brilliant. Who's, brilliant. who's, who's, who's again, yeah, yeah. who's a sweetheart. She's yeah. a really lovely, lovely She's my person. Emma would love to meet her. Well, then your Emma should turn up and again, got a whole load of people from the FT. The FT are our media partners again, and they've been really, really helpful over the years. And actually, that's something I want to talk to you about. It's interesting. Go on. There's a really good opportunity. You know, Dorky, Kilconomics, this podcast, main sponsor. It's, you know, it's really, really difficult when you're doing festivals. Yeah. Is finding commercial sponsors, right? It's a very, very difficult... Festivals cost a fortune to put on. They yeah. really, really yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, they do. And yeah. I don't think anyone has any oh, idea. the lineup like that, I mean... You geez. know, you've got to fly everybody in, right? Yeah. And so this is an opportunity if uh, if there's a sponsor out there for Doggy Book Festival, for Kilconomics, and maybe for this podcast, a main sponsor, okay? Contact us at info at davidmcwilliams.ie or if you work in advertising and if you work in marketing and media in that world, this may well be a gig offer for somebody to go out and actually find a sponsor. The reason is the following, is that without a sponsor, all these ventures tend to actually have very, very little capacity to actually deal with eventualities. Eventualities Mm. are huge. And the problem with sponsorship is, partnership is, that it tends to be sucked up by sporting institutions. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, everybody, you know, by sport, by the rugby and the GAA and all those sort of things, you know, which I can understand because they're big events, but it means that culture and art and literature and the sort of cerebral pursuits that we try to put on tend not necessarily to get seen. And yet more people read books in Ireland 
than go to GAA. Right. People don't know is that. that. Right? <laughs> this is a nation of book readers, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, if you want to speak to people, you speak to them through the books they read, through the literature they read, you know. So if you're out there and you are in charge of the purse of a large corporate partner, and I want to, I mean a partner, I mean somebody to sit with us for the next five years and build something monumental. Because what I think is the following. Ireland has got the capacity to be the home of great intelligent, intellectual, cerebral, philosophical festivals, right? People like coming here. We're mm. really good hosts. Yeah. We're naturally good hosts, right? And if it's a brand that actually has, what I always talk about, Dorky or Kilkenomics, these sort of things, it's basically a global event with an Irish accent. That's what I always think, you know? It's a global theme with an Irish yeah. accent. Yeah. If that's where you want to go and if you want to be part of a five-year journey... Info at davidmcwilliams.ie and let's do it together. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, let's see how myself and JM get on at the HRBR Clinic. Hey, here we are. So, what do you expect from this, JM? I expect clarity and information, how it works, what the whole A to Z process is, how much it's going to cost, all those questions that you can't really find online. Yeah. Hoping to get an answer today. It's going to be fun. For you. So, Jam, your general health, how's that? Is it good? Very good. And how old were you when you first noticed your hair beginning to change? So, Jim, I want you to photograph your hair. Mm-hmm. I just to reassure you, absolutely nobody else ever sees this. Okay, so chin down a tiny bit, please. And then just look me straight at the camera. And just stay in there. I just want to get that close. When you are born, nature gives you about 25,000 grafts on the top of your head. Mm-hmm. And the most I've ever transplanted was um, 11,000. And that was in James Nesbitt, the actor. He had amazing hair at the back and sides of his scalp that we had, so he would loads of material to work with. It's a very important thing that old men who have very little hair left on the top of their head have 14 times greater incidence of skin cancer in the scalp hair skin than okay. those who don't. So, JM, as I said to you before, if there was a cure, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. There is no cure. And despite what the internet claims, don't be taken in by those false promises. Men with hair loss can be very vulnerable and people prey on that vulnerability. So the next thing is, what can we do to help you? There are two approaches to this. One is surgical and the other is medical. What most men do is to use a combination of both surgery and medicine. 
but you have such extensive hair loss developing in the front here and it's so rapid. I would prefer to trial you on a course of medical treatments first. So rather than rushing in and transplanting you, I prefer to manage your hair loss as best we can. And when somebody comes here, they establish a long-term relationship with us. It's not come in, have a transplant and go home like Turkey. We have 33,000 patients, as I said, patient number one in our database is still attending. Collins, one of the things that I find very nebulous online is trying to understand cost structure of this. So we're very open in our costs. We charge 10 euros per graft that we transplant, and there's an average of two hairs in each graft. So if somebody has, say, a thousand grafts done, mm -hmm. then that'll be 10,000 euros. Got it. But nobody comes in here without knowing what the cost basis is. I'll always guide you, your family will support you, mm. but it's the man in the mirror who makes the decision, not me. To find out more about hair loss, visit the HRBR website. That's hrbr.ie. Or call 01209 1000 to make an appointment with one of their doctors.